Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Time to smash it up. What's going on, everybody, on Warchant TV alongside the managing editor of Warchant.com. He's Irish Rafael. My name is Tom Lang. And look at this, a Sunday smash two weeks in a row with the same crew. Some familiarity uh, here, Ira. How's it going? It's like uh, what Florida State's offensive line is trying to get to at some point. Yeah. At yeah. some point. Maybe not Maybe not this spring, but at some point. Yeah, we do a lot of cross-training here at Warchant TV, but, but today we've got the same two guys. It's all right. We can pass it off. If you've got a twist game for us, we can pass it off. If you haven't done so yet, Welcome to Warchant TV and then the various places that you can find us, Facebook Live and Twitter Live and Twitch, all those places. But if you're on YouTube, please, underneath this video, hit that like button. It'll help us find more FSU fans who uh, are, you know, on the interwebs on a Sunday night saying, I wish there was more Florida State coverage. I just don't know where to look. We'd pop up right there for them as a suggested video. So please hit the like button below and help yourself out by hitting subscribe if you haven't done so already. Ira, I guess this week again will be mostly football. It's an eventful week. I remember seeing you on Tuesday night after practice and you were ready to throw things uh, because that day was wall to wall busy, starting with pro day with a couple of hiccups in between uh, in the athletic department. And uh, then there was a practice to boot. So it's been a busy week, but, uh, you know, football is going to be the, the central theme. So uh, tell me a little bit about some of the highlights uh, of your week as we get going here and we say hello to everybody and, and then we'll uh, start the conversation. First, we're going to raise a glass with Kayvon. Oh, there we go. Hey, I brought a little something different to the fold tonight. A little oh, glass of red wine. little red wine. This is uh, so, it Italian table wine from the uh, Valpiocella region of Italy. So there you go. Sophisticated. Cheers. Yeah, I guess. Somewhat. It's table wine. It's table uh, wine. It's, it's not, you know, it's not for the court. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the you know, obviously the scrimmage was yesterday. We didn't get to watch it. Uh, you know, Mike Norvell, we did talk to the coordinators. People can find those videos. If they haven't watched them already, Mike Norvell and all three coordinators uh, breaking it down. And, you know, from everything we've heard, it's pretty accurate what they were telling us. Uh, they don't hide a whole lot. They don't try to, um, I don't think, pretend. I'm not sure why we can't come in and watch because they tell us a lot of the things that actually happened. The big story, uh, I think, you know, of course, was Akeem Dent in the first team defense playing really well. But that was kind of a continuation of what we've seen really for the last week and a half. It goes back to that that practice that two Thursdays ago, right, where the offense closed it with a flurry, bam, bam, bam. Jordan Travis going up and down the field. Tate Rodemaker going up and down the field. Receivers winning their battles. Offensive line protecting uh, backs and tight ends making plays. And after that practice, 
the defense has kind of really rose up and, and it, you know, it sounds like they did against Saturday. Keem Dent picking off Jordan Travis a couple times, which is unusual and, uh, you know, led to some speculation, I guess, you know, you know, maybe if Tate's still playing really well and if Jordan has a couple of picks, is that door kind of open? And Mike Norvell slammed it pretty quickly and said, yeah. no, there's no, no question that Jordan Travis is a starting quarterback, which is no surprise to anybody. But, you know, people were getting excited about uh, Tate having a good spring. So uh, I don't think anything really unusual in that scrimmage, just the fact that, again, the defense has really kind of asserted itself. Yep. And it was a defense that did have some questions coming into the spring. Yeah, I was wondering after Thursday's practice in which, you know, the offense started well on red zone, but then right. it was the defense's day by the end of practice. I was wondering if you'd see a response from the offense in the scrimmage of the first teamers, but, you know, watching with bated breath and Mike Norvell's first opening statement, then he gets into it and he says, I was really impressed with the first team. And I'm thinking, uh, defense. Oh, okay. All right. So the trend continues for the defense. And then also in the midst, you alluded to it. Aslan tried capital A for effort in uh, discerning just how good is Tate Rodemaker playing compared to Jordan Travis and Mike Norvell said not Jordan's our starter. It's just a matter of, of Tate, you know, coming along and developing. And, and that's it's something we've seen. And listen, Ira, I think, you know, if we're just talking about the quarterbacks for a moment, we were wondering the next step was could Tate bring the improvements that we saw in day to day practice to a scrimmage setting? The answer is now yes. Now the final hurdle comes six days from today in the spring game. Can he do it again in a situation where things did not go so great for Tate Rodemaker last year? I think he will. I mean, I'm, I'm at the point now where I just think he's he's gotten to a point where he's comfortable. He's confident in what they're doing. He's getting to play with the better players. Um, you know, again, I think even in the spring game last year, he got thrown out there with the threes, from what I recall. I mean, he's getting to play with guys he's comfortable with that can make plays. And uh, I think he's going to play well in the spring game. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. Having said that, you know, I think what what's important for us to try to illustrate is a lot of times when we give when Corey writes his observations from practice or you and I talk about it or you and Jeff talk about it uh, a lot or Aslan, we're focusing on what we're seeing, like the plays that are made at practice. And I think it's important. And I think you guys have made this point before, but I think we need to keep emphasizing it. You know, they're not letting Jordan's legs be the weapon that they yeah. could be. Yeah. You know, they're, they blow the whistle anytime he runs, once he gets five or seven yards down the field, they're blowing the whistle. Like, okay, we know you can do that. We don't care. That that's we're not just going to have you run around and make big plays. It has to be with your your arm, and he's going up against the first team defense. And I also think that you know Mike Norvell made the point the other day that they're sometimes they're putting guys in tough positions to see what they do. You know, maybe not calling the best play in a certain down and distance or the play that they know would work that they might call in a game, but just seeing what a guy would do in this situation. And and I think Jordan being his fourth year here. Uh, you know, second year in the system, I think that's kind of the mindset with him. I think they're really testing him and not letting him lean on those legs. And so I think that's why maybe the production doesn't always look great when we do our little reports from practice. Yeah, for sure. It's the same thing with the offensive line. I think it's really hard. And we talked about this this week on the Cameron show. Like, you know, when you're mixing and matching and you've got cross training going on and that chemistry isn't there. Well, that defensive line's really good, especially up the middle. So they're going to make you pay if there's any hesitation whatsoever. So it's almost like you're grading against a curve. Is it really that the offensive line is having that bad of a week? Or is it that, you know, a guard and a tackle have hardly ever played together in their lives, and now you're throwing at them what is going to be an upper crust front four in this conference at the very least, if not in power five? Same thing with Jordan. You know what he can do. You know what he could do on the perimeter, and you know the zone read game is a nightmare to prepare for. But if you're trying to work over the middle of the field and refine his skill set, then, yeah, there might be some growing pains along the way. 
you know you can turn it loose at a moment's notice. And also, Ira, it's really tough to assess those things anyway when you're wearing a green jersey and there's no contact. I'm right. glad they're not making the quarterbacks live. They paid the price for that with a younger quarterback last year. Um, but that's something to, to certainly, you know, it discounts what you see. And real quick before we get going with these questions underneath, and feel free, everybody in the chat, to, to fire away some fire off some questions for us because uh, another couple of practices worth of observations in about 10 minutes time, Michael Langston is going to be joining the program here on Sunday smash. It's another big weekend for Florida state in the books where they get a lot of visitors on campus, had a receiver commit. He was formally committed to UF. And according to Michael uh, Goldie is his nickname uh, was, uh, you know, silently committed to Florida state for three weeks, but we're also going to ask him questions about how big of a weekend is upcoming. For Florida State in the spring game. That's going to be a huge weekend, I would think. Get as many kids as they can on campus. But go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, you know, I think when you talk about the offensive line, I actually asked, I was trying to ask Mike Norvell this question on Thursday, I think it was, just to, you know, I think, I, and I'm, I mean, I phrased it well, because I don't really know how to get at it. But what I'm trying to find out is, like, do they know, if they had to play a game this Saturday, do they know the five they would put out there and feel, and how would they feel about it? Because, Again, they're doing so much mixing and matching. And as you said, the defensive line, they don't have to have that much continuity. You know, the there there are they do twist game, they do some games, but for the most part, you know, the guys outside, the edge rushers, they're gonna be edge rushers. And so the the continuity to me, the offensive line continuity is a bigger thing. And so they're working on all these things. And so that's what I that's what I'd love to know. I'd love to know for them, honestly, if they felt like they had the five they would start with and maybe two or three guys that they would rotate in if they need them. And fe- how do they feel about that group? Because yeah. right now, again, I still think they're mixing and matching. And and then you have some of these situations, like I think in the scrimmage where the first team defense dominated, I think there's probably situations where the first team offensive line, you know, struggled. And that may have led partly to some of Jordan Travis picks. Because the other thing I'd say about Jordan Travis throwing two interceptions in that scrimmage, the reason it's so notable is Jordan Travis doesn't throw picks. He doesn't really do it in games. He doesn't ever do it in practice. Part of that's you, you'd almost like to see a little bit more um, aggressiveness with him. He'll, he is so happy to take the safer throw. He's not going to risk it. He's not a Brett Favre kind of quarterback. You'd like to see maybe a little bit more. I think you would, would. I don't know how you feel, but I think you'd like to see him take some more chances. So that's why I asked uh, Alex Atkins, was it a case of the offense trying to make something happen or was it great plays by the defense? And he said, no, it was, Really just great plays by the defense. Well, it was a group last year that was pretty good, actually really good in the red zone. And we've seen that so far in camp this year, too. It's just a matter of getting, you know, uh, the length of the field going 60 or 70 yards. And, and that gets to uh, Briley's question here from earlier. I'll pull it up. Uh, you know, it seems like we're still struggling pretty mightily with drive stalling after a couple of successful series results of situational football or a real issue. This is always a hard one, Briley, because the story could be that the Florida State defense is just really good. You know, and, and if they're good, then the stalling has a lot to do with the 11 on the other side more than it does with mistakes made by the FSU offense. And it goes into everything Ira and I were talking about before, too, which is if you're experimenting with things and not necessarily calling the right play, it's just kind of a mess to sort out. You'll know better uh, in the fall. But, I, it, you know, Ira, this has nothing to do with observations from practice. It's just my hunch. And I think the coaches would know this, if, as I'm going to say it aloud, but you know, I think if they had to play a game this weekend against a real opponent not named Duquesne, so it's a conference opponent or LSU, I think Darius Washington would be back at right tackle for that particular game. I think that's where they are right now in terms of the development. Would you agree with that? I think it's uh, probably. I would say probably. Um, I, 
I would love to know what they feel about Bless Harris and, and how he's come along and whether or not he can get the job done. I mean, and I think that's, and, and again, I, you know, based on what he's doing right now, how does he project five months from now? Because that's when he's going to be playing. They, luckily, they don't have to play LSU right now. So, so I think the question is like, is uh, yes, if they were playing this week, I think you'd go with Darius Washington. But I don't know. Maybe in four or five months, maybe the answer is Bless Harris, and that's why you're giving him those reps. And you know, Alex Atkins talked about it. They they are he is immersing Bless Harris in. Um, and really exhausting him in every practice because he just wants to see him get more and more and more reps. So you see Bless Harris with the ones, the twos, I think maybe even with the threes. I mean, he is dog tired at the end of these practices, partly because they are trying to give him as many reps as possible to see what he can do and to, and to get as much film so they could work on with that on work on that with him during these next few months. So I so I think yeah, if they're playing right now, I agree with you. I think it's Robert Scott and Darius Washington, but I think their goal is hopefully maybe their goal is to to get bless Harris ready by August. Yeah, it's it's not a knock on bless. I'm again, I'm one of those guys that's in you know, his camp, but I'm glad that Alex Atkins brought it to the forefront because he said last week after the scrimmage that he noticed that bless tired towards the end of the day and they were going to work on that. Well, now that he brought it to the table on the record yesterday, all right, we can say it. He has been working a lot. He stays out there, and it's you know you could tell by the end of practice they are working on his stamina to be able to push through those extra fifteen to twenty plays that they might need in the course of a regular game. So if there's a shift from the first team to the second team or whatever they're doing on a given day, right tackle is still fifty eight. So they're working very very hard with that. And Atkins also did say that you know Darius Washington is going to work and play every single position. I think in, at the end of it, you know there's not a terrible amount of urgency yet because Charles T has the proper perspective. There's still five months to figure it out. But the thing is, you don't want to embarrass yourself next week during the spring game, too. And that's got to be a really difficult tightrope to walk for Mike Norvell because it's all about getting better in the long term. But this is also an opportunity for a lot of people who are on the fence about investing in the football program or helping out with the NIL. You want to put a good product out there next Saturday for those people to see. We've met a lot of high-priced boosters, or high-level boosters, I should say, who uh, bring a big price and a big amount of money to the program at these practices, but this is a mass appeal move on Saturday. It's, it's almost um, a dress rehearsal in a way that he can hit the, the trail this summer and make a pitch about the program. So you, you can't screw it up badly and look awful on offense for the right reasons. You kind of have to put together an entertaining product next Saturday. Right. And that's why I would, you know, man, I don't think you're going to see a ton of Robert Cooper next Saturday. I don't think you're going to see a ton of um, Fabian Lovett. My guess is those guys will play a little bit early and give some of those backups a chance to play. But, uh, you know, that's a good segue, Tom, because I know uh, Michael's going to be joining us. Well, Michael's going to be joining us soon. But you also want to put on a show for these recruits because they're going to be watching as well. And, you know, again, it's it's the excitement of that spring game, Uh, you know, just the excitement of being on campus. They've had so many recruits on campus. The one thing I, I do want to ask Michael about when we get him on is they have, it seems like they've casted a wide net in terms of getting high profile kids on campus. It hasn't been as targeted. So some of these guys, the results don't sound quite as, uh, I don't know. They don't seem necessarily quite as like, Oh yes, I'm definitely coming or I'm, this is Florida State's in one of my top two schools. So it seems like they're maybe casting a wider net. So I want to get his perspective on that, but, but I got to think, the spring game is going to be a big deal for recruiting as well. Yeah, and again, uh, next week we'll, we'll put up this graphic of all the ways that you can find us uh, in Tallahassee if you're going to be here. Also, it'll be on Warchan TV for just about every single thing you see on the screen right now. This is our spring game weekend schedule. 
Friday from the studio, 1 o'clock as usual right here on Warchan TV. You will hear and view the Jeff Cameron Show, which uh, is simulcast on 93.3 FM in Tallahassee. So if you're driving into town earlier in the day, you can catch us on the air as well. 5 o'clock, Corner Pocket Bar and Grill on Friday. That's 2475 Appalachie Parkway. That's where the Corner Pocket Bar and Grill is. Corey Clark, Jeff Cameron, they're going to be doing the War Chant Happy Hour Live. There will be the Masters in the background, Major League Baseball as well on the TVs, cold beers and delicious food at CP. We will see you there. I'll be working the uh, the producer's chair for that particular assignment. On Saturday at Hotel Indigo, very close to Doe Campbell Stadium. It's essentially connected to College Town. Uh, we will be on the seventh floor of Hotel Indigo overlooking the stadium for a meet and greet at 12 o'clock from, uh, from 12 to 3. The whole staff will be there, and we'll have a live pregame show beginning at 1 o'clock as well. There's a watch-along at 5 with Gina and myself, and then I'll be on for the postgame show after. I don't know what kind of voice I'll have left next Sunday, but we'll give it a crack. Uh, a lot of fun stuff coming up this next week with War Chance. Uh, and make sure to stop by if you're in town to any of those places, Corner Pocket Bar and Grill or Hotel Indigo. Uh, looks like the weather's going to be good, too, Ira. It's going to be a, a proper spring, not 90 degrees out there. It's going to be a nice day in Tallahassee. Uh, so what are yeah. some of the things you're looking for as we get closer? Michael will be joining us in just a moment, but they've got three practices this week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. Kind of strange. Uh, what are some of the things you're looking for? And then we'll uh, we'll bring Michael in just after that. Yeah, and just one more thing about that event at uh, Hotel Indigo. I really hope people come uh, early. If you're coming from out of town or if you're in town, you know, make sure you stop by a few hours early. You know, Corey, I, Aslan, uh, Tom, Jeff, I mean, the whole gang, Michael, every, we're all going to be there and uh, it should be a really good time. So definitely swing by. I think they're, they're going to have food and beverages and all that. So, yeah. um, but yeah, as far as what I'm looking for, I mean, really to me, I think there's, there's not a lot of questions we have left going into this final week. I think I'm a little bit, um, I want to spend a little bit more time watching that corner position opposite of Marion Cooper. I do think Duke Cooper's going to be the starter at the one cornerback spot where he started late last season. Uh, I do want to see if Renardo Green, um, you know, if he takes the lead, I guess you'd say, against, uh, you know, Greedy Vance and Jarian Jones. I will say Jarian Jones, I thought, looked pretty good on Thursday. He's been a little limited, I think Mike Norvell has said, uh, at different times this pre this spring. Uh, but I thought Jarian Jones made a couple nice plays in the Thursday practice, and that sounds like he did as well. Uh, in this, in the uh, scrimmage on Saturday. So I think he, you know, he's a former starter. He's not going to be happy about just giving up that job to Renardo Green or, or Greedy Vance. So I think that's a good competition there. And I also think, you know, Renardo Green, he's, he's a guy we haven't talked about a lot historically the last couple of seasons because he's been injured. He hasn't been healthy. Um, but I've watched him some in practice. He's, he's not the flashiest guy. He's not going to make, I don't think he's going to make the dynamic plays that, Maybe a Zaria Thomas does, or even a Sam McCall does, at least that we've seen, or maybe he just hasn't had those opportunities. But he's a very locked in, seems very, uh, just a, a solid corner. He seems to be playing very solid corner, not getting beat a lot, but also not turning in the highlight plays that maybe we've seen from, you know, McCall and Azaria Thomas. Yeah, the coaching staff did not poo-poo the idea of Renardo Green at that position. Uh, as he, They were asked a couple of times this week, I think. Or, or Renardo might have been brought up once without a question, and then also there was a follow-up on Renardo. It may have been you, Ira, that asked it. But they're not afraid to say that he's doing some good things in practice, and so uh, that'll be a, a battle to watch next Saturday. A lot of names vying for that other spot. But now the future names of Florida State Seminoles. That's what uh, the coaching staff is hunting to lock down over the next little while here, and they've done so, brought a lot of kids on campus this spring. This is the way Mike Norvell wanted to conduct business before the pandemic hit. Afternoon practices, bringing kids by the busload from local area schools and from the region, and to talk more about that, 
our senior recruiting analyst. Michael Langston joins the program. Good evening, Michael. How are you? Good evening, man. Uh, how are you guys doing? Um, I, I know I'm doing fine, but uh, yeah, you're not wrong, Tom. Uh, literally, when we say buses, there's sometimes buses in there as far as uh, recruits there, but it's been a great spring. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of guys, and it kind of climaxes uh, this weekend, uh, this next weekend with the spring game, obviously going to be really well attended, and that's kind of the thing they've kind of circled uh, for their spring, and then we get into the summer stuff and all that stuff, but this is kind of the wrap-up of spring, so Phenomenal job getting a lot of these, uh, you know, elite guys on campus, even more this weekend, which we covered on the PRB and, and the front page and all the features we did. But um, I, I, it, it still blows me away. A five and seven team can get this type of talent consistently like Norville and his staff does. I'll let Ira ask a question in just a second because he alluded to one before you joined the show, Michael. But um, I, I'm going to ask the 10,000 or 100,000 or million uh, foot uh, from high above question because I'm busy covering practice and I don't, you know, pay attention as much to recruiting. How much of this is 2023 or how much of this is 2024 so far that um, the coaching staff has brought in for the spring? And, and you've already alluded to it. A lot of big names too. Yeah. Uh, I'd say the first weekend in, in early spring that we saw, like uh, kind of one of the first spring junior days, it was mainly just, uh, I think it was around uh, the 5th. Uh, March 5th, and it was kind of like, these are the elite guys. We want these elite guys. And there was there was a ton in there, five-star Brandon Ennis. I mean, it was constantly guys that um, at the top of their board that we know they've already offered, that they, they've certainly made a great impression with. Uh, I think that was kind of the weekend. And then the weekend after was pretty cool because it was like, these are all the guys they, they've scouted, but uh, maybe some rising guys that are in the 2023 class, but most of them were like juniors, 2024, 2025. And so they had them in a separate weekend. So I think it's been some mixture of, uh, you know, juniors, but also, you know, elite guys that they want in 2023. And, and these visits really, it's a twofold thing where, when they bring these kids in, you know, it's not just about, oh, yeah, you're talented. We want you in here. and we, we want you to be at FSU. It's it's kind of they're measuring up these guys. Like, do you fit the culture of what we want to do? It's kind of an interview type of thing of, one, they're trying to impress them. And, two, you're trying to measure them up, like making sure their height and weight is what, what you thought it was when you scouted their film. And then, two, measuring them up, like, do you fit the culture of what we want? What's your goals? What's kind of your mindset you know, when you go into college, what are you looking for? So I think it's it's kind of a mixture of those things when, uh, you know, the way FSU recruits, because relationships are their number one thing that they they do at such elite level that's different from a lot of schools. Uh, uh, the relationships, they tie a lot of their, their hooks into that because obviously you're five and seven. You know, they haven't um, been above that 500 mark in, in a bit. Um, so they want, they're, they're shooting towards that goal. And then once they get to that point, then you'll have something to add on to the relationship stuff, but relationships, they, they absolutely knock it out of the park. And that's the reason why they're getting a lot of these, you know, talented kids, uh, you know, to go ahead and commit or they're leaning towards FSU. Yeah. You know, I, I think what's interesting to me is this is, this is really the first full cycle we're getting to see of this, this staff and how they recruit. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it's kind of, I'm kind of catching myself a little bit last year because Everything was kind of condensed coming off of the pandemic. A lot of the guys that came to campus, especially late in the process, you know, they they were in good shape with them or they were one of the finalists. It seems to me, and I'm, I get, want to get your perspective, are they aiming maybe a little bit higher right now and like at, like maybe casting a wider net? Because you're seeing 
they're having kids on campus. Like some of these kids, it's their first time on campus. It's their first time really talking in depth with the coaching staff. That I think Connor Stroh, the big four-star offensive lineman from Texas, mm-hmm. he said he really didn't know a ton about Florida State, but he still came for the visit. Is, is this? Are we seeing more of um, you know them aiming higher and casting a wider net, or why is it that um, it seems like a little bit different than even you know last year's, even with the COVID part of it? It is, and I think it's because they've solidified what their program is. Like, you saw last year when they played North Carolina and beat Miami, beat, Miami, beat North Carolina, they solidified what their program is, and they never seem to go backwards from that as far as their production on the field, and kids notice that. So now you're shooting higher where you're getting consistently more kids, and they can feel what's coming. They can feel the tidal wave that's coming that you're going to see a more consistent program. You're going on your third year. You know, the first year was kind of just really rough, uh, breaking all the just the tendencies, getting guys to buy in, all that stuff. And then the second year was kind of like showing flashes of what you are. Now you have a full buy in of all the guys of what you have on your roster. And, and recruits notice that. And they know this thing's about to take off in a more consistent manner. And so the excitement is much higher. That's why, you know, the spring game is going to be so well attended because a lot of these prospects want to see kind of what steps they are uh, different, you know, compared to last year. They're going to have an experienced quarterback more than likely with Jordan Travis or an experienced team. And uh, Ira and Corey have covered this. They, they actually have more dudes at every position where you can, it's going to be kind of a real spring game where you can see a lot of different position battles uh, for yourself in person, whether you recruit or whatnot. And then you kind of get to see some of these young cats, like, you know, these quarterbacks with, you know, AJ Duffy and see what Tate can do and see how much he's improved and then see how much this receiver group has changed, see how much the linebackers have changed, see how much the DB battle, as I alluded to, can is changed. And I think it's really just how the program is evolving of why you see so many elite guys. Like Zachariah Owens was also another top guy. You know, it's a top 100 type guy that Clemson wants that visited Florida State. He hasn't visited there before. It's his first visit. And this guy's a monstrosity of a man. I mean, this dude's like six seven. Uh, 350, and I, I felt like a, a just a, a child, you know, next to him talking. So these guys, are, they're just consistently getting these guys on campus because of what the product is uh, uh, soaring towards. I think that's the big thing. It, it's relationships. You have to have guys like Bartow, you know, and, and uh, Kawan Ratliff to get these guys on campus, but it's also kind of where they're trending as a program. You mentioned well-attended, Michael. You said well-attended this upcoming weekend for the spring game. So um, if you would, do your best to define what well-attended means and uh, who actually RSVP'd yes for this upcoming weekend. So, Well, I'm expecting, you know, 50-plus or more uh, recruits. Uh, That's what I'm kind of expecting. I'm expecting guys like uh, Jalen Brown, uh, uh, Brandon Ennis. That's five stages of rivals, 100 guys. Uh, Obviously, a lot of the FSU commits I expect to be there the number two player in the country for 2024 class, Desmond Ricks, who I will have on commit watch, the number two player in the country. So those are just a few of, of handful. I'm putting together a list. It's going to be a very large list because uh, a lot of there, there hasn't been too many no's Tom, uh, as far as guys coming. So I will put that together the list, but that's kind of the quality that you're looking at. I think there's going to be multiple five stars on campus uh, for FSU even multiple and probably the 2024 class and, and the multiple in the 2023 class. So I think it's going to be, like I said, well-attended several uh, 
major four stars and, and, and some five stars in there that obviously we will put up as far as a list goes, but it would definitely be a very, uh, I think the recruits are very intrigued to see this. I've even, I was even told that they're kind of having to push guys back, uh, uh, that they're having so many that they're having to push it back that they want kids to visit in the summer. Cause the, the draw is so much that uh, kids want to see there. So they're kind of having to tell kids like, well, let's get you in for the summer. I don't know if we can get you in the spring game. Cause there's so many guys that kind of want to see what this product is. What can you, uh, I know you, you and um, Aslan did a video breaking down the recent commitment, but if you could just kind of give a, a quick version of, of what he brings, the fact that he was, uh, a Florida Gator commit, I guess Kiwan Ratliff was really integral yep. in getting him into the Florida State, but that's the second wide receiver commitment in this class. And I know he's a three-star. Sometimes the, the recruiting snobs get offended when people when you sign a three-star or get a commitment from the three-star. Uh, could you give us a quick brief uh, rundown of what he brings? Yeah, he's like six uh, six one six two one ninety guy. Uh, he reminds me a lot of uh, – this kind of will give people more of a grasp. He reminds me of Gabriel Davis that played at UCF. He does some of the same things that Gabriel does, now plays for the Bills. I think he does some of the things. He's a big body guy that really is physical but also has good speed to pull away from, from people. And, and we see in the roster, I think I think one of the reasons FSU added him is they don't have a lot of guys that had that size and speed. I think Malik McLean is one of the few that they have that does that. And so I think – I think this kid, uh, certainly, uh, he can get separation. He can improve on his route running, but I think the main thing he does is, is his physicality after the catch. Very good hands, uh, very elite hands from when I've watched him, and then his speed after the catch is, is extremely good. And, and he's just a really big matchup problem because he's big and fast, and those guys are not easy to handle. So uh, he's a three-star now, but I, I do not anticipate him to be a three-star for the whole whole year, I think. I think eventually he'll hit to the four star and even the rivals two fifty type of range, but that's kind of some of the skills that um, that Darren has. Uh, his nickname's Goldie, uh, but uh, I think I think the main thing is uh, he visit. He, I think he visited uh, several times, probably like three times. I think when he came on the first visit, uh, I think FSU has this little thing like when you put on the white stuff for football, it's like when you put all the gear on. It's like we put the white on. That's commitment time. So they asked him, like, hey, are you going to do the white? And he's like, not this week. But then came back to the second visit. He's like, I'm ready for the white. So they kind of knew. Um, so this commitment's kind of been something they've known that was coming. But I think it's a really strong addition. You ha- already have Vendravius Jacobs. who's more of a slot dynamic guy. Now you have a guy that's a big but fast guy. But the one characteristic that all these guys that FSU gets at, at either running back or receiver seems to be they, they covet speed in a heavy way. Um, so I think uh, I think you'll see more of that as they finish out this class. I think they want to get you know between four to five receivers a total in this class. So I think they want to have a mixture and add stuff that they don't have on this rush. Darren Goldie Lawrence, <laughs> the player that uh, we're talking about, the receiver who was committed to Florida is now committed to Florida State. So Michael, I'll get you out of here on this one because there'll be a full recruiting chat coming up this week, and I'm sure another yeah. one coming out of the spring game. But uh, let's play a game of over under. In your opinion, by the time we get to Sunday Smash next weekend, 7 p.m., <laughs> over under one and a half new commits for Florida State? I would say over. I think it'll be over that. Um, I think there'll be some multiple. I'm not going to say – I don't know. It's hard to predict, like, how many exactly, but mm-hmm. I think it'll be over that number. I think it's going to be 
a very positive event as far as FSU. And usually that's not really me going out on a limb. That's usually kind of what it is. But I think even more this year, there's more of a draw because the excitement of, of kids seeing this team. And then I can't stress enough when you have enough team, enough players like what FSU has now to use depth-wise, it makes it much more real for recruits when they watch these spring games where it's more realistic of football. It's not just like you're throwing a bunch of guys that you're not going to be counting on during the season. I think, I think we're going to see a lot of guys that, you know, they're going to count on. And I think that that has effect on recruits. And I think right now uh, there's a lot of hot momentum and obviously everyone's got that LSU game circled, but uh, a lot of recruits got this, this event circled. So I think it's going to be a, a pretty positive weekend for FSU. A huge weekend upcoming for Florida State on the gridiron. It's uh, it's time to look pretty. Mike Norvell and program, you're trying to impress a lot of recruits and a lot of boosters. And Michael Langston, I hope you've got a brand-new notebook ready because it sounds like you're going to be <laughs> filling up with a lot of notes next Saturday. Thanks for your time tonight, Michael. And uh, stay uh, stay tuned, everybody, to Warchant TV for the latest from Michael. Thanks, Mike. Uh, take it easy. So we'll return to the uh, the football discussion, uh, meaning the players that are on campus right now, Iron. We had a, uh, a contribution from Zach Z-Chan. Uh, thank you so much for your contribution to the program tonight. As always, uh, you're a frequent here, Z-Chan, but he uh, talked about running into Derek McClendon, who was uh, somebody who met the media this week. Derek is not afraid to uh, put expectations on his own shoulders and, and uh, bear the brunt of those. Uh, but Z-Chan says, very respectful. Norvell seems to be growing these boys into men like Bobby Bowden used to. Well, Derek McClendon's had a very good camp, and uh, he's one of those players, if you were uh, to list, I don't know, uh, we could do an article on Warchant. Three players who we didn't think would make an impact, uh, a huge impact that are, I think Derek McClendon would make that list. He'd be one of the first players mentioned, right? You reading my mind, Tom? Oh, I no actually, <laughs> I actually, uh, I was talking to Corey today that we should do uh, five guys that have pleasantly surprised, five pleasant surprises uh, from this spring. And Derek McClendon would probably be one of them. Although I feel like, and somebody made this point early in the spring in one of our chats, um, you know, that, that we kind of all undersell Derek. I mean, he's, he's actually been pretty productive. He's, uh, you know, he's had multiple sacks every year, I think, you know, and, and, and it's like, that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, Florida State a couple of years ago had two defensive ends that didn't have, had combined, what, three sacks uh, for the, if that, uh, I mean, he's had multiple sacks. Um, he's been a productive player he, and without being out there that much. And you see how different he is physically. So I think, you know, the confidence, you know, you'd kind of roll your eyes a little bit if it wasn't based on, and, and you know, Mike Norvell and John Papich talked about it, it is based on the work. I mean, he has gotten bigger and stronger. Well, not necessarily bigger and stronger. He's just gotten much better shape. He looks like uh, what he should look like as a defensive end. He's been productive in practice. And it's, uh, I'm, it's good for him, man. Like, Call your shot. I'm all for it. I think it's great. And to his point, to Zach's point, yeah, he's always been a really sharp guy, a uh, really positive energy guy. That's one of the things the coaching staff has always liked about him. Even before he was ready to contribute, he's always been a guy that, man, just comes and brings it every day in practice. And those are the guys you want to see have success. So I think, you know, a lot of people are rooting for him to have uh, success this fall. Speaking of shooting your shot, Zachary Whitfield, uh, shoot your shot, man. I, I guess you, you've been shooting shots. Uh, I <laughs> That's probably the alcohol talking. Is that correct, Ira? <laughs> I saw his comment. Zach said, uh, this might be the alcohol talking, but do you think Jordan Travis could win the Heisman? I actually saw that in the chat while Michael was talking, and I started, I caught myself cracking up a little bit. Look, hey, I'm not going to say it couldn't happen. It's probably not going to happen. But 
you know, look, I mean, Jordan's going to have a he, – he could have a really nice season. I mean, the fact that you look at his numbers, I think isn't he the, already the all-time leading rusher in Florida State history, and he's rushing quarterback uh, in Florida State history, and he's and – he's, this is going to be his first season to be the guy. Uh, he's going to come into the season as Florida State's starting quarterback. He's not battling Mackenzie Milton. He's not battling James Blackman or coming in as a backup. Uh, whereas a guy two years ago, he was a guy that they were, you know, putting in different positions. I mean, he is the quarterback now, and uh, I think he could put up big numbers. You know, you have to be one of the best teams in the country, and we don't expect Florida State to be one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, correct. Uh, but whatever you're drinking, send some over, Zachary. Really appreciate it. And uh, as a reminder, we'll put the ticker up here in a second. But uh, ABC Fine Wine and Spirits is partnered with us. You'll be hearing a lot about them in the coming weeks here on War Chant TV. If you live in the state of Florida, you know where your local ABC Fine Wine and Spirits is. So make sure to stock up ahead of uh, spring game Saturday. And if you're coming up here, there are three locations in town. Go to the Thomasville Road one if you like some vino like me. They've got the best wine selection in the area. Uh, I will mention... You know, McClendon, Ira, is, is one of those players who has really quick hands. That's one thing I've noticed this year is, is he's able to separate and get uh, an offensive tackle with hands off of him because he's got a lot of moves. But the quickest hands I've seen in camp, and I had a chance to look at this this week for the site. There's an article now on Warchant TV. Fabian Lovett's absurd, Ira. His hand speed is that of a boxer on a speed bag while he's going through lateral drills with his footwork. Uh, I noticed that on Thursday when we got up close and personal at the IPF, it's amazing to watch him. You know, Tuesday's day was was reserved for Robert Cooper, I thought. But Fabian Lovett had a really strong day on Thursday. And we can talk about the depth and the younger players, uh, but there's a reason that everybody was all smiles in that uh, coach, in those coaches' offices when 91-0 and zero decided to come back for Florida State. That's the anchor of the defense, and those dudes are really, really impressive. If there's an embarrassment of riches at all for Florida State, it continues to bear out that it's the interior of the defensive line. Yeah, Fabian's good, man. He really is, and and I think that you know, and again, I'm I'm what I'm excited about that is that group and their depth. You yeah. know, I think Jared Jackson has continued. There was a practice, I think it was last Tuesday, where he just you know it was like play after play. He was putting together successive plays where he was really having an impact. After a while, it looks like maybe he got a little bit gassed and a little bit fatigued. But um, you know, Malcolm Ray is a guy that, and I know you, you wrote about because you you really focused on the defensive line last week, but he's an impactful player and he gives you uh, he is, he is going to give you an honest effort uh, every snap at defensive tackle and he's disruptive. Um, you know, that group I think is going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I think um, uh, Josh Farmer is starting to come along. I think Mike Norvell mentioned that he had been a little bit limited, but he's starting to come on as well. So that defensive tackle group is going to be a lot of fun. And I, you know, and, and again, you know, I think when you look at this defense from that group of the defensive tackle, to then the linebackers with Tatum Bethune and uh, Kalen Deloach and then, you know, Marty Gaynor and the guys that they have returning there. And then that safety position where, you know, you feel good about Jamie Robinson, you're feeling really good about Akeem Dent. That's gives you a really good nucleus uh, for this defense, particularly in the run defense because of what you can do kind of between the tackles. I'll share one thing with the class here, just an observation from Thursday. Um, you know, they go through ladder drills. It's like anything else. It's just for footwork and, and form and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Malcolm Ray was the the person, the player that routinely Odell Hagens would call upon to show everybody else. So this includes defensive ends. It's not just the defensive tackles. It's also the defensive ends, which you would think would be the quicker athletes. Malcolm Ray was the one that would show exactly how your footwork needs to be and how your form 
needs to be. Uh, but I'll, I'll switch over, Ira, a little bit to a general talking point about the defense. Can I, can I interrupt you real quick? Because yeah. Mark, Mark McDonald has, I think, asked like three or four times um, about making the team. And like, can you make the team? I'm guessing Mark might be a student or a prospective student at Florida State. And he was asking about walk-on tryouts. They actually do. They do have walk-on tryouts in the spring. They might have just passed. Um, but if you are, and he was asking if you don't have high school film, in the spring, it's a little bit easier to make the team for, for as a walk-on because it's, there's not like as many limitations. They In the fall, they can only carry, a, I think that's 110 players on the whole team. 85 are on scholarship. And then there's you know 25, basically. Uh, I believe it's still 110. that can be walk-ons. And it's competitive to get those spots. In the spring, it's a little bit more wide open. Um, although this staff doesn't flood the field, some schools will bring a ton of walk-ons out in the spring. Um, but if you are interested, yeah, I mean, definitely reach out to the football offices. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm not sure who's running the walk-on program right now. I would, I would try, try Chuck Canner if you call the football offices, ask for him. Um, but uh, somebody on the football staff might be able to help you out. If you can, basically, what they're going to look out for walk-ons is either somebody who's really got good size that can play line at least in practice, or somebody that runs really fast. Those are the two things. If you don't, if you don't have a really good size. If you don't run really fast, they're probably not going to have much use for you as a walk-up. Yeah, I've seen it. You know, it, it comes and it goes quickly on FSU social media for the football right. program. When there are trials, it's like it's tomorrow almost. You know, you kind of see it and then it's gone. But this strikes me as a staff and a uh, department that communicates if you send an email or call. So if you just go to, you know, Florida State's website, look through the directory, that would be the best thing I could recommend. So I, I think Ira's right there. But there was something that Adam Fuller said yesterday in his uh, press conference, Ira, that it kind of struck me because it's almost like an omission. Um, you're telling us something, but you're omitting something. And uh, the comment was, you know, it, it was speaking about how players are willing to be coached on the defensive side of the ball. And I think it was just coming off of a comment about Akeem Dent's two interceptions right. uh, in the scrimmage. Uh, but but he said, you know, the players are, are willing to be coached right now. And to me, what I've seen so far, and I've been looking at the trenches a lot, that defense is starting to develop a snarl to it like a real snarl. They've got guys who are willing to talk a little bit after the play is over on the defensive line. Jared Verse is not afraid. McClendon's not afraid. I, I noticed there was a, an interior defensive lineman this week after a three and out for the offense. He waved goodbye to the offense as they ran off the field. Uh, there's a little bit of swagger building for this defense, and it probably is coming through the confidence and, and continuity of coaching and philosophy. But, it, you know, we, we've struggled for so long to identify what is Florida State's defense because it was just bad at a lot of things. But it seems like they're starting to develop a personality to them, and, and it's not a nice one to play against, which would, should excite Florida State fans. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I mean, I think, you know, defensive football, and we've talked about this a lot over the last few years, especially when the team has not been playing well. So much of defensive football is trust and trust in the coaching staff to the point you just made to believe. If, if I do my job, if I do what I'm asked to do, and Adam Fuller said it, I think, a couple times during that press conference with referring to Akeem Dent, he's he's doing what we're asking him to do. And surprisingly enough, that's resulting in good results because it has to be 11 parts working together. Offense, you can sometimes have big plays when just one or two guys make a big play. But defense, it has to be all 11 guys doing their job and trusting each other. And sometimes it's not – you know, Mike Norvell made that comment a few times last season where he's, he made the comment with the best of intentions, like when they lost at Wake Forest or when they lost a couple of games last season, we're, we're making mistakes with the best of intentions. What he means is 
guys are trying too hard to make a play that's not their play to make. They're not trusting the guy next to them. They're not trusting the guy behind them. I think what you're seeing in practice now is year three in the system. They had some success last season. You got some mature guys. You brought in some guys who are winners. Um, you know, from from other programs that that are have the right mindset. And I think you're seeing guys play as a unit, eleven guys working together. And I think it's, it's a big difference, man. Sometimes you see defenses in college football that aren't all first round picks, but play really well and play hard together, and they have success. That's where I think they're getting closer to. It's what it looks like to me. And then uh, yesterday's press conference from Alex Atkins had some great philosophical bombs in there. I mean, real nuggets of, of wisdom. He was talking about the wire and what and what his favorite season was. And he basically he was getting at four and five combined because yeah. your time on earth is temporary. So make the most of it. I was like, wow, okay, coach. <laughs> well, and then, you know, it seemed to me he wasn't saying three. And I, I, and I was – I literally – I was on my Zoom and I was going, no – how about three? I was holding up three fingers. I was I was furious. But then he came back and clarified. He meant three and four. Uh, yeah. He touched a little bit on five with the media stuff, but but uh, I think he was a little bit more focused on three and four. So yeah, that was funny. And it's uh, we can, maybe we could do a watch along with the wire with uh, Alex Atkins at some point. That would be phenomenal uh, because clearly he's thought a lot about it. Uh, and and he's you know uh, he had some other things to say too about uh, certain specific players and and the quarterbacks yesterday. He mentioned you know as there was another question about Tate and his improvements. He goes, well, Jordan's improving every day too. So so don't forget about that. Both of these guys are progressing. But is there anything that stood out or now that he's been through two press conferences after a scrimmage as the offensive coordinator, anything that stands out to you that might be a little bit different about how Alex Atkins operates or or maybe any nuggets that he offered up and he said, oh, that raised your eye eyebrows a little bit that's a good question because i i was curious what he was going to be like in these settings and uh you know kenny kenny dillingham was very um very positive and mike norvell was very positive i mean i don't know how many times mike norvell used the word remarkable yesterday talking about different players and uh you know and and, and so that's just kind of how he is he wants to build these guys up and kenny dillingham was pretty similar atkins sometimes with his offensive lineman is not as forthcoming with compliments so I was wondering how he was going to be in these settings, but I thought he's been pretty, he's been pretty different. I mean, when, you know, I don't know if he, he feels quite as uh, obligated to keep guys in check as maybe he does in his position, but you know, he's been forthcoming with talking about, you know, Tate's development and Jordan's development and uh, some of the receivers. And, you know, I thought one of the things that was cool that he talked about the wide receivers, I think yesterday was, you know, he talked about Johnny Wilson and Micah Pittman and not just what they do in practice and, not just the plays we see them make, but you know they're willing to do the dirty work. They they fit in in the in the in the in the you know in the meeting rooms. They fit in around the team, and that's a big deal, man. Sometimes you bring in these transfers, and you don't know what their agenda is, and and if they're all out for themselves. The one thing I did want to touch on real quick, if we could, is Johnny Wilson. Now, the more I talk to people around the team, um, there's a lot of excitement about Johnny Wilson, and. Uh, he's made some nice plays, and Michael Pittman had a really good week last week. We wrote about that. Uh, but I think Johnny Wilson has exceeded anything that they expected from him, and I think there's a chance he may be – we're, we're going to have to come up with some props for some of these receivers and what they can do in the fall. But but Johnny Wilson, man, I think we might be uh, surprised at the impact he has this fall. They're, they're really excited about him. We could make it a bit calling it prop show instead of uh, prop Joe. To prop stick with the yeah, so prop prop show, and then it's a, it's you as as the prop guy. But yeah, you know, I was wondering when they both came to campus, Ira. Given that they were really good friends, and they made no secret uh, that you know there was no secret that they were really good friends when they both transferred. 
to Tallahassee. I wondered if there was going to be just kind of like they're over there doing their thing and, and they don't really care to integrate. You just never know how these things are, are going to go. But it, it does seem like from what we can see, they're just a, they're a part of the segment group. They're, they're a lot of these transfers. In fact, just about all of them, it, it, they seem like they've assimilated well. And that's something that I know we brought up last week on the smash, but uh, you know, development is one thing, but then circling and finding and earmarking the kind of players you want to be on campus and you want to be a part of the program, this coaching staff with the newcomers this year, either the freshmen or the transfers, it looks like they've hit on just about every single one. Like you could see why they're here. You know, you're not asking why is that dude here on campus? And Johnny Wilson and Micah Pittman are certainly among uh, that list of players. You're saying that's a good fit. That's going to work. Yeah. You know, I think uh, really, I mean, we, you know, we, we've talked about it. The freshman defensive linemen have been very impressive. And John Papuchas talked about them yesterday. He said it's the best group of freshman defensive linemen he thinks he's ever been around. And I mean, we see it. I, I don't know how many times you and I at practice have walked over to each other and like, man, look at Bishop Thomas, you know, look at Daniel. Lyon. I mean, that, that is an impressive group. Um, and it, that doesn't mean they're going to be stars in 2022, but there's a lot to work with going into the future. And I think there's a chance those guys may place on this year, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's hard to evaluate those first class, the first class, of course, in you know, transition class, the coaching staff gets hired in December. They have to throw together a class. They're just trying to hold on to some commitments from the previous staff, uh, doing whatever they can do to make it work. You can't hold them to that one. I thought last year's class was a nice class. Uh, all things considered. In this class, from everything we've seen, it looks like they've really evaluated well and and got guys who have bought in the program. And to your point about the receivers and how they interact, and this isn't – I'm not trashing um, Andrew Parchment because, you know, I don't think he's a bad kid. He did come in late in the process. He came in uh, in the summer. His first practices were in August. Uh, but you never felt like he was totally integrated into the team. It was kind of like Andrew was doing Andrew. And it worked, you know, he had the big fourth and 14 catch. Uh, I don't think he was a bad guy or a bad teammate, but you never felt like he was totally integrated to what everybody else was doing. With these guys, it feels like that. Maybe it's just a part of coming in in January and, and having that time with the whole group. Kayvon, what are you doing, man? You're, you're just uh, rattling cages uh, with your terminologies <laughs> there, sir. Um, but, you know, if, if I was to <laughs> go down that road and say, are there any war daddies? Uh, quote unquote, that are a part of this class. Yeah. Um, to watch Daniel Lyons and Bishop Thomas be disruptive in teamwork or the, the drills they do where it's offensive line against defensive line and, and for them to be as unrefined as they are. And I'll explain that. I wrote that in my article this week. It's just, it shows you that they're bringing in football players who can make plays. I know that's a thing, Ira, that you love to harp on and you're right. You know, you can have measurables, but if you can't make plays, then, then what's the point? And these are dudes that make plays, but I was watching individual work closely on Thursday, and there are things about leverage and footwork and form that are driving Odell nuts about the freshman because he's got to get them developed and up to speed. If they could be more efficient with the natural skills they have, now you're talking about replenishing and not being worried that a Fabian Lovett or a Robert Cooper are gone because you've got difference makers. They already can be for maybe 10 snaps a game. I think today they could. Daniel Lyons could make a difference for 10 snaps a game right now. Bishop Thomas is a little bit far behind that, uh, but but it's not out of the question But that by the end of the fall he could be in the rotation. But it's just it, it's interesting to see that they are bringing in a different class of player. And, you know, Azaria Thomas and, and Sam McCall were guys that we mentioned early on in camp, but those are different dudes too, and McCall had a great day this week in practice. Yeah, the, that 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 duo is going to be interesting to watch this season because 
they're going to have to get them on the field. The one thing I was a little bit disappointed with watching last season was that there, there were a couple of freshmen that I thought could have got more, at least some run on special teams. Shaheen Brown is a guy that everybody knows we're all excited about. We've been very excited about since he first came to practice last preseason. Um, and the fact that, you know, they didn't find a way to get him on the field. And I know he probably wasn't ready to play safety as a true freshman. You know, this year, I think we're going to see him make more of an impact. We're getting to see him play more meaningful snaps with the better players uh, in practice. I think he's a big part of their plans for 2022. But he, you feel like some of those guys should have been on special teams. And I, I want to see them get some of those young guys out on the field on Saturdays because and I get it, man. You're, you're coaching. Your your livelihood is on the line. You only want to put guys out there when you know 100% what they're going to do because they're ready. But some guys have really just abnormal talent. And I think McCall and Azaria Thomas are two of those guys that they need to be on the field a lot, whether it's special teams. I don't know how much they're going to play corner. Maybe, maybe they find some opportunities to get them in the game. Hey, maybe you actually win a game uh, comfortably and you can get in some of those guys. But I, I want to see – I don't expect Azaria Thomas or Sam McCall to be competing for a starting job early in the year, but they need to get on the call because those guys are different. You know, the, you know, we talked about Renardo Green and Greedy Vance and some of those guys. They could be really nice players, but I don't think they have the upside of what those freshmen have. So we'll get to some questions here in the final five to ten minutes that we have right now on Sunday Smash. Uh, we thank everybody for joining the program. And if you're uh, joining us in progress, remember there's a DVR function that you just go back and start over. Also, this will be on podcast on Warchant Podcast featuring seminal headlines. That's where you can find it. But hit the thumbs up underneath this video, if you would, please, because it helps us find more FSU fans. So uh, the purveyor of DeLuna Coffee himself, uh, Ed Lemmix, is asking, how are the linebackers looking? And Ira, I'll defer to you on this one because I've been mostly in the trenches watching those guys go. Uh, so uh, what do you think so far outside of uh, Tatum Bethune, who has been a headliner? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Ed knows that because uh, he's been listening to Wake Up War Chant. He's a big, proud sponsor of that show in the past. And they, uh, you know, I'm sure they've been high on uh, Tatum Bethune as well. Tatum, Tatum Bethune is really good. And it's it's a little bit of an indictment of Florida State's linebacker play over the last six or seven years because it's not like he's the next Marvin Jones. But he is a linebacker. I mean, he is a what you want to see in a Power 5 school at linebacker. He, he And one of the things that Adam uh, Fuller talked about yesterday that I was glad he brought up because I wanted to ask him about it, watching you know Tatum Bethune practice, and Kalen Deloach does it really well as well, they are talkers, and they are constantly communicating. I think the first time we talked to Tatum Bethune back when he first got here, he said, I'm usually talking until the ball is snapped. Like, I'm talking to the last possible second. He over-communicates, and that's great, man. When you see bad defenses, you see a lot of guys who just play in their silo, and just we're just trying to figure out what they have to do. That defense right now, it, it started late last season. It's gotten better and better this spring. And Tatum Bethune takes it to another level. He and Kalen Deloach, uh, and I think Lundy does it some when he gets in there as well. They're communicating so much. You see them constantly pointing and gesturing. And that is that's how you play together. Uh, so he's been huge. But I think the linebacker group in general has been a lot better. Kalen Deloach and I think Kalen Deloach and Tatum Bethune is a really nice group right there with Amari Gaynor as the third guy. And then I think Lundy, we've seen some strides from his, him as well. So I think the linebackers are going to be much improved. Yeah, some of the nuggets that, you know, among them that I saw last fall camp was it, it looked different when Adam Fuller was on the field behind the linebackers and able to tell them where to go 
versus when he wasn't there. And then you saw, you know, misalignments and, and things of that nature. And this offense does that anyway. And Adam Fuller was quick to point that out. They're among the best in creating explosives on the run if you're out of your gaps. But they needed Adam to be on the field. It looks like they're getting closer to not needing him to, you know, right. to make those adjustments for them. They can read it out themselves. A couple of questions about the D-line. I don't think I answered this, Jamie. I posted it earlier, but how's Aaron Hester been looking? He's flashed. I mean, he's going to be a, a good player. Uh, it's not one of those things where, oh, yeah, they brought him on campus. I wonder why I haven't noticed him so far in, in practice. There are times, Ira, that Aaron Hester has, has shown up. and He's like, oh, that, that's going to work. But it's just a longer-term project. Would you agree with that? Yeah, especially because, you know, I think that, you know, Patrick Payton has really come on some of those backups behind Derek McClendon and, and, and Verse and the, the top guys and Dennis Briggs, you know, Patrick Payton's really come on. I think Quayshon Fuller is probably going to be ahead of some of these young guys. But of the two freshman defensive ends, I think Dante Anderson might be a little bit ahead physically. Um, but Aaron Hester looks certainly looks promising. And I think that group's going to be really good. But I just don't know that you're going to see a whole lot from them in 2022. It's a good take for Dante Anderson. I'm talking about the coaching yes. staff bringing him on campus. There were a couple of reps on Thursday. We were standing next to each other, Ira, when they were doing uh, O-line, D-line drills. And the natural speed and get off the line of scrimmage uh, was evident against a, a, a tackle that we talk about a lot. So it was good competition um, that uh, that we saw a heads up from a preferred walk-on, even though he was a four-star, but a preferred walk-on against a tackle. That's pretty impressive. I, I also saw um, a, a question, and we'll get to Carol's in just a moment, about Rodney Hill. Is he getting some run? The answer is yeah. I mean, Rodney Hill is in that rotation, and he's been impressive too at times. Um, what have you seen out of him? Yeah, and he's a little bit different. You know, again, I mean, I think, you know, you, you, you Treshawn's kind of a shifty guy. Lawrence Tofili's kind of a, a shifty guy, dynamic guy. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Benson, Trey Benson's a much bigger, more physical guy between the tackles probably. Uh, you know, I, I think the thing about Rodney Hill that I've seen is, especially now that Corey Wren entered the transfer portal last year, Rodney Hill, to me, has the top highest top-end speed, the guy that, can you can get him the ball, isolate him on a linebacker, get him the ball in the flat. He has very good zero to 60 speed. I mean, he's he gets the top speed really quickly. You notice it. It's a blur. Um, so, you know, again, I don't know that he's going to be a guy that gets six, seven, eight carries a game, but I do think they're going to look for ways to try to get him the ball in space because he can really, he can fly. Yeah, and, and C.J. Campbell has had his moments this yes. camp. And then there was a D.J. Williams sighting on Thursday, uh, apparently yeah. that carried into the scrimmage yesterday, Mike Norvell said. But uh, there was a run in full team that D.J. Williams had. And I said, who the hell was shot out of a cannon there? But it was yeah. it was D.J. Williams. So, you know, it, it was thought that there was a lot of average in that running back room. But I, I would think maybe, Ira, if we were doing an article, uh, is this segment group trending up or trending down? The running back room actually is trending up against pre-camp expectations, right? I think it's definitely trending up. And, you know, I made a comment. I think it was something I wrote last week and a couple of people took exception because I don't know that they, they don't have an elite back. I don't think they've, you know, there's no Dalvin Cook back there. I don't even think there's a Cam Akers back there. But they have a lot of really good running backs, really good, solid college running backs combined with a scheme. Alex Atkins talked about it yesterday. I think Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins have a good scheme. They do, do a good job of creating angles and creases and finding opportunities to run the ball. Plus, you have Jordan Travis back there, and that puts so much pressure on a defense. So I think you have a, a I think you're, you're going to have a plus running back room, um, but I don't know that you have, you know, I don't know that any of these guys are going to be guys that the NFL is dying to get. Right. But uh, but I think they're really good running backs. Trey Benson may end up being that guy from a measurable standpoint, but it's too early to know that just yet. 
yeah, every once in a while, Trey does something. He said, well, that'll work if he if he can continue to, to be healthy and develop all the way to full speed because he's got top end uh, to go along with that body type, and that's pretty amazing uh, because he's a big back. Uh, Carol asked this question. I'll rephrase it a little bit. What would be best for Florida State? What would be best for Mike Norvell and the coaching staff this upcoming Saturday? Offense winning, defense winning, a dead heat? What do you think, Ira? I mean, you want to see some plays from the offense. You definitely want to see the offense look good, but but probably the defense. I mean, I think that the look. I mean, and I think you know, talking to Mike Norvell this week about the post Jermaine Johnson era. You know, I think there's been a lot of talk about last year's defensive improvement. How much was it a byproduct of having really great defensive ends? I mean, a, an elite defensive end who might be one of the top ten picks in the draft, and a really good college defensive end, Jermaine and Keir Thomas. How much did they skew what we saw about this Florida State defense? I think so. I think people are going to be excited to see a defense play competently, not have busted plays, make a lot of big plays, make some tackles for loss. I think that'll I think that'll get people excited. Yeah. But you, you can't have the offense getting shut out either. I mean, right. the offense has to make some plays. I felt like if you're just crowdsourcing the media, what generates the most buzz that Thursday practice in which oh, the yeah. offense went crazy at the end had more energy of us standing around waiting for the interviews to begin than when the defense did something similar on Thursday but I think you're also right given that you know the departures at defensive end have been so significant if you could list like you know Jared Verse makes two or three splash plays in the game and uh, Micah Pittman makes two or three and Johnny Wilson makes one or two you spread it out amongst those newcomers I think that would have people more excited than one side of the football winning over the other. If those if those position groups that people have fundamental questions about and they're not you know reading every single practice report, if you answer those questions with those players specifically, then then you've done something. Well, don't in the don't hasn't been hasn't that been one of the things that's been impressive to you about this spring that it has been most of the plays that have been made it seems like have been good plays. Yes, it hasn't been. A quarterback just throwing the ball up for grabs and a, and a safety fair catching it for an interception, or uh, you know, a defensive end running free because there's a mix up in the offensive line, and that's how you got a sack. The big plays have been, or on offense, you know, just where you know the an offensive line, uh, wide receiver just runs right past the secondary. Mm-hmm. It's guys have had to make plays, and I think fans will get excited by that. If you see, you know, Kentron Portier make a really nice catch over good coverage or yep. a quarterback fit it in a tight window or a defensive back make a play on the ball like Shaheen Brown's interception we saw on Thursday where he comes from off the ball and reads it and comes over and picks it off. You know, the, the Florida State's fans are they're they're intelligent enough to know what good plays are. And I think if they see good plays back and forth, I think which is what we've seen for most of the spring, I think they'll be excited. Yeah, yeah, it's been about who is best, not not who yeah. failed. You know, and we talked about that a lot last week. There's one play, and, and Z-Chan, you are the man. We're, we're going to thank you with some more in just a minute. Um, but there was one play a couple of weeks ago where Pokey Wilson was lined up in the slot on Kevin Knowles. I brought this up before. But it generates an opening on basically a smash route, which is apropos for the show. But Jordan Travis lays it in, the breadbasket. But it's all started not by Jordan Travis' throw, but because Florida State's best slot cover corner got beat by a receiver who has improved. And those are the types of things that you're looking for. And, and people will notice the difference. Right. And go ahead. And, the, and then the back and forth also. And I thought it was cool that Adam Fuller mentioned when we were talking about how well the defense played yesterday in that scrimmage, he brought up how poorly they played at that red zone, which you talked about earlier, that red zone portion at the start of Thursday's practice. And what was interesting about that is 
I think the touchdown Tate Rodemaker threw, I think it was Tate's. It was either Tate's or Jordan's. I'm pretty sure Akeem Dent was a safety that got confused and jumped the wrong guy and left Johnny Wilson wide open for the touchdown. But then Akeem Dent's the guy that came back and played so well and responded to that. And that's what you want to see. I mean, you know, I think Akeem is one of those guys that probably has gotten his head a little bit when he's had a bad play. And, and, and I think fans will like that if they see a guy maybe get beat, but come back and respond. Once again, Z-Chan, uh, you are the man. Uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, donating to the program. That's uh, That helps exactly. the old T-Lang Fallen Tree Fund. Uh, had had two trees <laughs> fall at a big storm on Thursday. Thankfully, the house wasn't hit, and uh, it came within a foot of landing on my mother-in-law's vehicle, which would have been just devastating. Uh, I mean, and I have the photo. It was about that close to right. a tree just destroying the vehicle. So thank you. Uh, the fund is is now being replenished for getting uh, the lumber uh, out, out of my property. Uh, but one more thing before uh, we get to our final thoughts. Uh, Matthew, Thanks again, you, Zach. Uh, you, yeah, once again, Zach. I mean, that's two donations tonight. My goodness. Hopefully we see you this week uh, for our, our live events. And Matthew, if you put that full screen. A reminder, spring game week is here. By the time Sunday Smash signs on next week, you will have seen the spring game. And we will have reports from four different practices Tuesday, Thursday, Friday for the football team, and then Saturday scrimmage counts as a pseudo practice. So that's what's coming up this week. We got the JCS 1 to 3 o'clock on Friday. That's in studio. That's not on location. At 5 o'clock at Corner Pocket Bar and Grill, you got the War Chant Happy Hour Live with Corey and Jeff. Hotel Indigo on Saturday. There are new partners. Jay over there is a really nice guy. He's been around uh, the Tallahassee area, the greater uh, Tallahassee Thomasville area for quite some time. And he's rolling out the red carpet for all of you. There'll be a cash bar, buffet, war chant, meet and greet with the entire staff. Noon on Saturday, we'll even do a live pregame show at 1 o'clock. And, of course, get your day started with Wake Up War Chant. Uh, We don't promo that enough. Wake Up War Chant's podcast will be live late tonight into tomorrow morning. Aslan and Corey will have you covered all week long. And we go live every day right here on War Chant TV this week at 1 p.m. That includes Saturday. So make sure you subscribe if you've not done so already. It'll help you out. Um, so, Ira, the week ahead, I've done the trenches now. Do you have an assignment for me? I guess I'll ask you the editorial meeting right now. You want me to look at the skill positions this week, the linebackers? What am I doing this week at practice? <laughs> That's a good question. We have, <laughs> we have to figure that one out. Hey, can we do a rapid fire on some of these questions? Real sure. Quick? There's yep. just a couple. Uh, somebody asked, post-spring practice, Briley asked, would you go offensive guard, offensive tackle, or best available in the transfer portal? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm saying best available at this point. That's where I am because because you have some flexibility with Darius Washington and uh, Caden Lyles and Maurice Smith and so I, I would go best available. How about you? Totally agree. Actually, we we talked about this uh, on the Cameron Show this week that I, I don't think it yet it's come hell or high water get a tackle because of what you just said. Darius can flex back to right tackle. It might be a better position for him. We'll, we'll see. That'll bear out at the end of spring camp and, and by the time we get through maybe a week or two of fall camp. But if you've got a guard who is you know, the quality of second team all ACC or a tackle who is group of five average, take the guard, take the guard all day. So I would agree there. What's next? Till, Till Dog 12 asks, do we finally have a legitimate kick and punt returner this season? Uh, punt returner, yes, Micah Pittman looks much different, and we've seen it in past what he did at Oregon. He is a legitimate punt returner. He will go get the ball. I tweeted a video at practice. I think it was on Tuesday. It might have been Thursday where – Norvell was standing like 20 yards behind me and he just yelled, go get it, Micah. And man, it was, you know, it was punted intentionally 20 to 25 yards to the side. He ran and got it. Uh, He is fearless. He's a punt returner. 
Winston Wright was who we hoped would be uh, the starting kick returner. We don't know yet. He had the car accident. We don't know how quickly he's going to get back. Last I heard was that they're hopeful that he will be back at some point this season. I don't know that he can be full go for preseason camp, but I don't think it's ruled out that he will be playing the season. So uh, if he can't go, kick returner, uh, you might be looking at Hill, maybe. Rodney that's Hill? a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that that's that could be an option, man. He's got some real impressive straightaway speed. Um, and then I wanted to. Oh, um, Zachary Whitfield asked, "Who's the main running back?" I mean, it's Trayshawn Ward, but I think mm-hmm. Trey Benson and Lawrence Tofili are going to get a ton of reps as well. Do you think you mentioned DJ Williams? Do you think he gets? You think he gets more than four or five carries here and there, or do you think he? Or do you think it's those top three guys? I think it's a really big spring game for DJ Williams uh, to make an impression. This is a big week of practice, of course, but if you can turn on the lights and prove that you've got something extra to you when the scrimmages uh, begin or, or a spring game begins, um, I was surprised. I had to I had to remember that he was on the roster this week. I'm not trying to be rude. It's just that there's been a lot more flash plays from the other backs, and I liked DJ Williams when he came on campus initially. Uh, then he got into, into good shape, but he was a short yardage guy, and there really aren't a whole lot of answers here for that. But now with Trey Benson on campus, this is a critical, critical week uh, for DJ. And and there was another question I saw uh, from Kayvon. Other than Jordan, I'm assuming, of course, it's got to be Jordan Travis. Who is our closest thing to a game breaker? That's a that's actually a tough question for me. To, uh, maybe I'm forgetting somebody, Ira, but you got an idea on that one? I think it might be Johnny Wilson. I mean, and from the passing game, I mean, I think Johnny Wilson, I don't know. He's not going to be a guy you throw the ball to in the flat and let him take off if he's not – uh, something like that, but he is a guy that I think can make some huge plays uh, in his passing game. From a running game standpoint, uh, I really think I mean it's it's you know you got Trayshawn Ward, yep. Toafili. I mean you got there those guys. I think they can always break one by scheme. Like I you know again it's not Dalvin Cook, but I think those guys can always be schemed up to break a long run. Uh, but yeah, I mean I don't know that there's an elite game breaker on this offense though, to that kind of level. If Jordan gets banged up and, and Tate has to come into a game this fall, the answer is Kentron because Kentron caught it. I, I don't know if you saw the 90 seconds they rolled out from the scrimmage, but uh, there was a throw by Tate to Kentron where he makes another play in the a contested area. Uh, man, 88 makes plays for Tate Rodemaker and Ja'Kai Douglas I would list in, in that group right. for, for Jordan. They Again, sometimes it's scheme. Sometimes it's just Ja'Kai's raw ability, but he had a, a blistering start to camp. It's kind of calmed a little bit, but the first two, three weeks, Ja'Kai Douglas was consistently a really big performer. So I'd probably list him as, again, cable. It's a grab bag. There's a bunch of guys that that I think can do go the distance. I don't know that there's a ton of guys that you would say, you know, are are among the top playmakers in college football by any stretch. Yep. You see any more questions, Ira, or does it look like we got Somebody asked if we did a good job of uh, avoiding baseball. Yes, we did. (laughs) Yeah, we did. Uh, Look, they got swept by Notre Dame. Yeah. So all swept uh, Virginia on the road. So they're, they're still, I think they're like 33 and two or 32 and three. Yeah. Something ridiculous. Um, but yeah, baseball scuffling. I think they're 16 and 11 now. Just got swept at home by Notre Dame and Link Jarrett. Link Jarrett. Uh, not a good weekend for the uh, FSU baseball team. Yeah. Edenfield hit at least three home runs this weekend. I don't know if she added another one today for the softball team. That's just absurd. A couple of them were oppo line drives and they still left the yard by 30 feet. Uh, she is something to watch, and she's only a redshirt freshman, so there's a lot of time to watch Michaela Edenfield get used to that name in Tallahassee. I'll tell you one thing that pissed me off about baseball, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot tomorrow on the Cameron Show. But so last night's game, uh, they're up two. It might be they're, they're up one in the situation. It's second and third, one out with first base empty, 
one run game. That run really means nothing, but you add some bases to throw to if you're in a tight spot. Scalaro ends up striking out the hitter at the plate on three pitches, which was impressive. But again, with that base open, there's a chopper up the middle. Notre Dame ends up taking the lead on the play. If you've got second base to throw to, the game is over and Florida State wins it 4-3 to three instead of being down 5-4 to four going to the bottom of the ninth. That pissed me off, Ira. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Uh, but thankfully, uh, North Carolina beat Coach K, so all was right with the world last night. The one other thing I would say is, you know, they, they've got to get a closer that misses bats. And, and yep. you know, yep. I'm not putting that loss all on Jonas Scalaro, but he doesn't miss a lot of bats. They right. have to find a closer. You need to be able to miss bats as a closer in college baseball at this level, and they don't have it. But, yes – I was with you. I was cheering for uh, North Carolina. I was very happy to see Duke go down. Sorry, anybody that likes uh, Duke basketball that's watching. But, yeah, I was ready to see that that circus come to an end and uh, looking forward to uh, the game tomorrow night. I don't know if North Carolina can play with Kansas, but it'll. Uh, I'm glad to see Duke not there. Yeah, it's all over for Kay, and, and that's a good thing. So we'll see if anybody gets slapped tonight at either the Grammys. Certainly somebody will at WrestleMania. Uh, whatever your viewing <laughs> habits are later tonight, we uh, we hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend because uh, it is waning and it's time for spring game week here on Warchant TV. Ira, uh, final thoughts or teasings, or do you want me to just shut it down and, and do the spiel? We're good, man. We're good. Plenty of content at warchant.com, recruiting coverage. I think Michael's got a story that I'm going to post in the morning about uh, 12 players. I think it's 10 or 12. I don't know. Some number of players that FSU has really kind of made an impact with recruits that they've been impact with uh, this spring. And then uh, Austin also has a story about uh, uh, CJ Campbell, the walk-on running back that uh, we'll be posting as well. Zach, thank you so much for your contributions to the program in terms of the monetary way. Thank you to everybody in the chat that asked questions. You advanced our discussion. We really appreciate that. Michael Langston, thanks to you for stopping by. And Matthew, I remembered this week. Thank you for producing the show. Top-notch quality, as always, for Irish Rafael. My name is Tom Lang. Hope you enjoy the extra 15 minutes tonight of Sunday Smash, and we will talk to you on Warchant TV this week. Good night, everybody.